to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Hey, it's Mark here. Welcome to another episode of Didn't See It Coming. I have got a very, very cool guest on my show today, Heidi. Heidi Ehlers, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Calling me from uh, beautiful, sunny California. I am. Nice. Heidi and I have known each other since we were about 12 years old. And uh, <laughs> back, back in the days when advertising was kind of mad men, Heidi uh, was actually a, a, a recruiter. And Heidi uh, got me a whole bunch of my great staff. She actually got me hired for a job. So we've been talking about advertising since God only knows how long, 30, 40, 50 years since we were about five years old. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Uh, I've gone on my own as a consultant, as a brand consultant. Heidi's gone off and done a whole bunch of other stuff, but we still call each other up all the time and we catch up on, you know, how the industry is going. And Heidi's uh, now coaching a lot of people. Creatives. Mostly creatives. Creatives. People in our profession, right? Designers, art directors, writers. Um, Creative entrepreneurs. Yeah. And, and, And now we had this conversation a while back and there's a very interesting thing going on right now that, you know, uh, the corporate world is, is uh, giving way to a whole bunch of small mammals that are rising up, companies that are making their own stuff. Um, there's so many more opportunities for people to do interesting things. But with that, there comes a fundamental shift in the way people think about creativity, about business. And the reason I want to bring Heidi on a podcast is because you've seen uh, some pretty interesting stuff when it comes to how creative people are positioning themselves. Or not. Or not. That's the more more interesting part. And maybe what lessons the rest of us could take from that, like stuff that you are seeing. So so give us a little bit of background on, on your coaching. Uh, narrow it down for me a little bit. What okay, are you, you meaning? In terms you know, you were recruiting and then you said, you know what, this whole, well, how did I get into it? Yeah. How'd you get into the whole coaching? Cause somebody, people came up to, I know the story, I know the answer, but people well, came it, up to it, you and it, said, well, it us. sort of, it evolved. So yeah. I was prior to being a recruiter of creative people, a creative person myself. Yeah. So I started in the ad biz and I use the word ad biz still as a catch all for everything and every discipline in it. I started as a writer, had my own agency, was a creative director, was not really a great careerist because I did what all creative people do and continue to do was to convince myself that the job available is the best job for me. Mm-hmm. From being a creative person, I was recruited by the recruiter who was recruiting me for a job to become a recruiter of creative people. Say that 15 times quickly. Just twice would be fine. <laughs> and then I worked as a recruiter of creative people across Canada in a company called Black Bag. And what I found was that I always enjoyed the coaching part of the conversation more than any other part of recruiting. Coaching and negotiating. I loved negotiating. I loved to get to the negotiating part of the recruiting process. And what I found was that people were 
consistently coming to me and saying, you know, you said that thing to me in an interview and I took it to heart and it really helped me. And that made me feel great. And so it was kind of this meeting of the part I like the most with the part that seems to be having the most impact on the people. And so I moved away from recruiting and then moved into coaching because I felt that it was a way to give back to the community in a different way, minus that icky stigma that's associated with being a recruiter, Mm -hmm. which I managed to shake, but not a hundred percent because it still is if it quacks like a duck and it looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Well, you know what was interesting about your recruiting business, Black Bag? Um, It didn't walk and talk like a recruiter. It had a sort of, it had a whiff of cool creativity to it. And uh, it seemed like you just understood creatives. You, you, you know, if you want to talk about a brand being all about finding a niche and going deep into that, you you did really good at that. Yeah, I think so. I thank you. I hope so. I hope so. I think that the big thing that was when I was recruiting, I almost didn't get into it because I was concerned about the reputation that most recruiters have for not being confidential and being kind of creepy. And I thought that being confidential and not being creepy would be my point of difference. And that I think was what helped me stand out that, and that I was a ex creative person who really understood what everyone was doing all day. Mm -hmm. Makes a difference. Makes a huge difference. So then, I mean, I remember coming to you and, and you were helping me uh, line up a job. And uh, I remember coming to you and you had a ton of advice too. And it stuck with me. You were, you, and I could tell it was coming from a real genuine place too. So this is something that then evolved with you, right? More and yeah. more people came to you for yeah. advice. And yeah. Yeah. And what happened was also while I was recruiting still, I developed Diary of a Creative Director, and Diary of a Creative Director came out of this thesis that I had, or I had a, I had a suspicion that people who achieve uber success in careers as creative people can't be approaching their careers in the same way that 90% of the people I was interviewing every day did. Mm-hmm. And what was the difference? And how could I get a conversation happening with someone like David Droga Mm -hmm. and talk to him about the things that he had done in his career to create the career that he had to date, which was at the time about 15 years ago. You know, do you ever move for money? What's the most important thing? How do you know when it's time to leave? Do you listen to your gut? All kinds of stuff like that. And I had a thesis, which was that every career needs a goal, a plan, a brand, and a story. The goal must be quantifiable with a timeline. If it doesn't have those two components, quantifiable, I can measure it, and a timeline, when am I going to get there, it's not a goal. Harvard University did a survey that said that people with quantifiable goals with a timeline are 10 times more likely to achieve them regardless of any variable that you can put on it. Age, race, gender, status, Mm -hmm. geography, whatever your quote, quote, excuse, I mean, variable might be, it goes out the window if it's quantifiable with a timeline. It doesn't matter. Number one, goal. Number two, the plan to achieve the goal the series of steps and in what order they need to be taken in order to achieve that goal. What are you going to do in the next two months, three months, two, one week, two weeks, one month, three months, six months, one year, two years. 
how, what are you going to do? And if it's something you need to master in the next two years, well, you need to start working on it in the next three months. So what's the plan to start doing that? A brand, a brand that is commensurate with the magnitude of the goal. So -hmm. you can't have this big audacious goal with a brand that's kind of minuscule. Mm -hmm. If you've got big goals, you need to have a big brand. Mm-hmm. And then finally, a story, an ability to tell a story about what you're up to in a compelling way that's going to make people listen and want to pay attention. Most people's stories, I always started every interview with, what's your story? Mm-hmm. So tell me your story. Nine times out of 10, the story was the resume stops. I worked here for two years, then I worked here for one year, then I worked here for three. It's not a story. Mm -hmm. That's a timeline. A story is, I went here, I chose this place, I did it because of this, this is what I learned, here's what happened to me, here's what happened to cause this next step to happen. It's a story, it's a narrative. It's not reading a bunch of stops on a resume, Mm -hmm. very different. And that's what I proofed whenever I met uh, creative directors for Diary of a Creative Director. And so far I've met the who's who and interviewed the who's who of the creative world. And there is a consistency. They all seem to have those four components. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now the, the funny thing is too, you know, it's, I, I've heard from another fella uh, who works in um, digital and he said, you know, it's not so important to have a, a dream as it is to have a system where, and the system could be, Uh, this happens in a week, this happens in two weeks. And even if you fall off the wagon and you feel bad about yourself, you still know that it's a small goal that you fell off the wagon on. I had to have this thing written this week and then push it back one week. Totally. Totally. It's about why I love to use weight loss as a metaphor because people can identify with it. Mm -hmm. If you say I'm going to lose X number of pounds by this date, the scale is just the thing of telling you you're, Keep doing what you're doing, change what you're doing, or do something completely different. It's a scale. It's just, it's just the barometer. Mm-hmm. People don't want to create goals because they're afraid they might fail. Mm-hmm. But knowing you're failing is a great warning signal to start doing something completely different. And catching it while it's still fresh catching as it, opposed yeah. to saying, yeah. oh, this year I was going to lose 20 pounds, didn't do it. No, but I lost 10 or I lost seven. Who cares? At least you're, I think you're seven pounds further ahead than you would have been without that goal. I think it's a, you know, because then if you say this year, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, it becomes a hope and a prayer as opposed to a system and a, and a plan. A dream, here it is. A dream with a date becomes a goal. Hmm. A goal broken into steps becomes a plan a plan put into action makes a dream come true. And that's what it is. The dream with a date, goal, goal broken down, plan. You can't just say, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. The plan is, I'm going to work out four times a week. I'm going to drink 10 glasses of water a day. I'm going to limit my carbs. Those are the steps of the plan. Yeah. The goal is just one part of it. You need all of it. Now, talk to me. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, what I love talking is, is brands. Yep. And, uh, you know, the theme of the show is didn't see it coming. Just a little bit of surprise. Yep. Uh, creative people. Never see it coming. 
they don't. No. And I know I've hired enough and you've coached enough and you've recruited enough. They are terrible at building a personal brand. Yeah, because they think that it's an admission that there's a problem. Wow, it's, I never thought of it that way. It's not an admission that there's a problem. It's a recognition that having a personal brand is goes hand in hand these days with being a professional. Right? So it's, well, I don't want to build a website because then my boss is going to think that I'm looking for a job. No. You do want to build a website because everyone will know that you're a professional who treats your brand, personal brand, as important as the brand work that you do for your clients. So how can you, with any kind of integrity, sit in a boardroom and say to a marketer that brand, 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 but you don't have a personal brand? And you have 12 followers on LinkedIn and you don't have a portfolio and it hasn't been updated in two years and you don't have a social following. You need to have all those things in varying degrees and you need it. And how can you be a marketer and you're not marketing yourself? Is, is it shoemaker's children that you yeah. always just put it off or is it actually, because I, I thought it's shoemaker's children, but it might be something deeper where... Like, well, what you just said, that, yeah, that, there's, that there's a problem, problem that I'm looking. Yeah. The only reason yeah. I'd, I'd build a brand is because, uh-oh, I'm going to be fired. Yeah, and you shouldn't. You should have every three months in your calendar, you should put a thing for Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. See, that's called a plan. Mm -hmm. Every three months, Sunday morning, 8 o'clock. A review of the brand. You just look at your portfolio and go, is it current? Is it saying what it needs to say? Oh, that testimonial. Should I get that client that I did the work for? Should I be getting my latest work up? If you do it every three months, it's a two-hour job. Mm -hmm. If you do it every three years, it's three months. It takes then, a month and a half to get it done. And then you put it off because other yeah. stuff is more urgent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, does this sort of thing apply to everyone? I mean, we talk about creatives because that's the field that we're in, but does it apply to accountants? I think it yes. does. It applies yes. to everyone, doesn't it? Yes, and, and account guys. Mm -hmm. Like you said, accountants, but look, the other side of the marketing equation is account people. Mm -hmm. I had a guy that I worked with for months that I just could not get off the ground in terms of building a personal portfolio. Well, well, I don't, what got I, don't I don't need it. I'm an account guy. Account people don't have portfolios. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's why you should have a portfolio because everyone else is going to send a one dimensional, bland, boring piece of paper called a resume and you're going to have a portfolio and you're immediately going to stand out. You're going to be, oh, wow, this person's really taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. It's that little bit extra that we can now, which isn't even extra anymore. I mean, I started having the portfolio conversation in 2000. Yeah. You know, saying to people, I put a line in the sand. I say, if you don't have an online portfolio, we don't talk. This is when I was still recruiting. We don't talk to you. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't you want to have a portfolio? First of all, you can't lose it. It doesn't need to get dropped off at anybody's office. It's, it's completely 
it's not very heavy. It's completely private. And then the work that's gone on in terms of platforms to build your own portfolios, they're fantastic now. Yeah. They're absolutely fantastic to build a, a website. Ugh. Yeah. It's so fantastic. Easy. It's so easy. Yeah. It's so easy. Now talk to me about the brands themselves, because, uh, you know, you and I had this conversation offline that, even if people uh, say, okay, I'm going to build a personal brand, a lot of the personal brands they build are pretty damn boring, which is funny for people who are telling clients to go out there and take a risk with their brand. Well, they're not, they're not boring. They're just exactly the same. So everybody's doing exactly the same thing. First that's, name, comma. That, that's so funny. That's so funny because we're in the business where we're supposed to be telling clients to do not the same thing. Right. It's like what I, what, what I always say is, so a client says to you, I want my packaging to be yellow because my competitor's packaging is yellow. A creative person sitting across the boardroom table from that client would say, well, that's why we're not going to do yellow. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to their own personal brand or their portfolio sites, it's first name, last name, comma, what do I do? Here's a bunch of squares with my work in it, and here's how you get in touch with me. Where's the dialogue? Where's the conversation? Where's the, I understand what it is that you want from me, mm-hmm. and I'm going to speak to that conversation it can't, it's not just all about the work. If it was all about the work, we would look at people's portfolios and send them employment contracts, mm-hmm. but we don't do that. We mm-hmm. look at their work and then we meet them and we see if we like their personality. So why not start introducing personality into your website the second someone lands on your, if you're funny, have a funny website. You know, it's funny because um, uh, no, this is one of the big reasons. Funny. What's funny? funny. <laughs> it's one of the things that it, one of the things that uh, we all rail about, or what we used to rail about, still rail about, is the stupidity of pitching. Because pitching lines up contestants like a beauty pageant, and it says your work against my work, and that's all subjective. It's actually getting to know people. It, it, all agencies do the same work, kinda. But one person who runs an agency is a polar opposite from another. This guy, you're going to love that yeah, lady. Yeah, clients buyer agency relationships. Yeah, and so the now putting up a whole bunch of business, right? Putting up a whole bunch of work on your own personal portfolio tells zero about, who about your you personality. Are. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then the other mistake that they make, so beyond the everybody's portfolio looks the same, there's another conversation, which is the $40,000 a year copywriter, mm-hmm. first name, last name, comma, copywriter, bunch of work, mm-hmm. looks exactly the same as the $200,000 creative director slash copywriter, first name, last name, slash creative director, copywriter, squares of work. I'm sorry, but when you are hiring a $200,000 person, you want a lot more for $200,000 than their portfolio. Mm-hmm. You want to know what are some of their successes? What have they learned along the way? What do they do bring to the party beyond the... You get to a point where, yeah, okay, you're creative. That's the point of entry. What else you got? And everyone is only answering that first question with their personal brand. Here's some work that I've done. 
Now, is this something maybe they can't do it, just like a client has a hard time doing it, because once you're talking about yourself, you get too far inside the jar, and all you see are my features. I don't see the benefits, because I don't know yeah. how I benefit you, Heidi. I, I just know what I do. And, and so do people get then afraid, because they say, I have to go consult with my friend Bob, and he's going to tell me what he thinks my oh, benefit yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, do you think that they're too lazy or too scared uh, to actually get the no, hard? It's, it's, you know what? You know, it goes back to this whole diary of a creative director conversation that we talked about at the beginning. It's not about lazy. It's not about scared. It's not about any of that. It's no one has ever had this conversation with them. Really? No. At, when they're in schools... There are no, the schools don't say, here's how you create an amazing career. That's not what they talk about. They do. Here's how you create an ad. Here's an ad. Here's white space. Here's type kerning. Here's letting. Mm-hmm. Here's how to do a, you know, how to work a, program, a concept. Multimedia program, yeah. Yeah. They never talk about this. And what's happening is you have the blind. So your friend Bob, your friend Bob doesn't know any of this either. Bob, but, but because, and Bob's going, well, what I did was I did first name, last name slash art director. And I mm-hmm. just showed my work mm-hmm. and then they go, Oh, so is that what you do? Yes. And then you're going to look like Bob. Yeah. And then you're yeah. going to have a book that looks like Bob. So it's not about lazy or anything or fear. It's just because when I have the conversation with them, mm-hmm. they go, well, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes it, sense. It, does, it, is, it is terrifically common sense, especially for someone who does this for a living. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's the irony, is that they're, they're as great creatives, a big part of their job is pushing clients to take risks if it needs to be, but they're reticent to take the risks in their own career. But having said that, Developing your own brand gives you a different kind of appreciation for how hard it is to be a marketer and take a risk. You know, I I really wonder if it is even taking a risk. I think, you know, hearing what you say and reading between the lines, it could be taking a risk, but at the very core of it, it's about differentiating yourself from everybody in the pack. You say to your clients, you look like chewing gum. You've got to be the young chewing gum or the crazy flavor chewing gum. But for yourself, you go, art director. I'm an art director. Yeah, no, you're, no, you're not. You're a fun, insightful, talented, award-winning. Mm-hmm. Make Who specializes happy. in diapers yeah. and diet drinks or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe. Now, not everybody can come and talk to you. So, if you were, if I, you're listening to this podcast and you want to get, say, a list of things, you know, we talked about a plan and and items to check off. Give us something to start with here. What would you say to somebody who needs to create this personal brand, can't come to Heidi, uh, a top, top, say top three things that you would, that you would counsel them to do? Uh, create a quantifiable goal with a timeline. Mm-hmm. For example, by February 2020, I will be the creative director of... X company making X number of dollars a year. 
Really? So like a career goal with a, a, perhaps an imaginary, perhaps a real company? A real company, because here's the thing, a real company, name that real company, because that real company, bad example, but Coke or Pepsi, Mm -hmm. you know, you're saying something, whether it's Coke, you're going to work for Coke, or you're going to work for Pepsi, you're saying something about the scale of the business, the recognizability of the business, the, you know, global nature of the business versus Mark's soft drink company in, Mm. you know, Palm Springs, California. It's a different, I'm using soft drinks, but because I don't want to name agencies, Mm -hmm. but it's, it, you're saying something about the kind of company you want to work for. Before you even get to the goal, you should develop 10 criteria of the perfect job for you, all of which must be measurable. So don't say, I want to work in a supportive environment. <laughs> How do you measure that? Here's what happens. You go for an interview. Is this a supportive environment? Oh, yes, Mark. It's a very supportive environment. Say things like, instead, I want to work in a company with at least 100 people in it. Yeah. I can, yes or no? Does it have 100 people? Yes or no? I want to work for a company that has offices in Europe. Yes or no? I want to work for a company that has one can lions in the past 48 months. Yes or no? Not award-winning. Yeah. Uh-huh. The more specific and the more granular you can get, the more likely... Okay. Yeah. So it's time for a chick analogy. Not to be confused (laughs) with a chick analogy, which is not... We're not talking about chickens. If you know what kind of guy you like, you like guys with black hair, you you notice guys with black hair. You don't Mm -hmm. notice guys with blonde hair, but it takes time to figure out, I like guys with black hair. People do that in their personal lives, or they don't. They meet and they start, this is what happens. They go out, a guy is interested, and they go, oh my God, I can't believe this guy's interested in me. Mm -hmm. And then they try to turn that guy into the perfect guy for them. What they should do is they should figure out the 10 criteria of the perfect guy for them and then compare that guy to those 10 criteria, knowing you'll never get 10, but at least knowing what you are and aren't getting. You should do the same thing when you're looking for a job. What are the 10 criteria? And then compare that job to the 10 criteria. But what people do, again, what they do in the dating scene is they take the job They don't even know they have criteria, and then they try to turn that job into the perfect job for them. And then within six months, they're frustrated. But they're also frustrated because they haven't asked the questions that they should have asked to figure out how many of the 10 criteria they were going to get in that job. You know, it's wild because it takes a level of maturity and self-analysis to do that. I mean, I've been guilty doing it dating. I've been guilty doing it looking for work that you yep. say, I'm going to take a work and I'm going to turn this. You always hear this. I'm going to go gonna there and I'm going to turn this place into a creative hot shop. Exactly. Yeah, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, you know, and it's funny because... Me too. If I had a nickel, I got Why to the point when that? I was doing creative director searches where I would say to the CEO of the agency, 
give me the goal for the agency, and then I'd make the creative director write the plan to achieve the goal as part of the interview process. That's smart. And you would, would, they would, it always came down to three candidates, and they had to, each one of those three candidates had to write a plan. And -hmm. it was amazing how candidate A, oh, we're going to hire this guy, would not be the guy, how often, would not be the guy that would come out of the interview process in first place because he couldn't think plan. And then you'd always get this, well, I have to get into the place and figure out what's going on there before I can write a plan. No, you don't. Hmm. You either know how to turn a place into a creative hot shop or you don't. The purpose of you writing the plan is to figure out whether they're going to let you. Mm-hmm. Because change has momentum, it has magnitude, it has financial implications, it has all change for you and me. Everybody's got a different comfort level when it comes to change. Mm-hmm. So in order to have an agency turn around, you have to know that the CEO is prepared to change as fast as you want to make things change and put money behind it and put resourcing behind it. Do you think that there's a, a fear of rejection with a lot of people? You know, for So I go into an agency because they like me and darn it, it's so nice to feel pretty. And uh, I say, I'm going to go turn those guys around. I'm going to change them. And you just don't even want to hear that it's not going to be possible for this agency to change. And you, you just close your eyes and throw yourself into it because you just don't want to hear the bad news. Yes, because you want to, again, it's back to that whole conversation. Creatives, it's so funny. So we have such a hard time with rejection, but mm-hmm. we get rejected all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one thing to um, build design a bathroom, let's call Mm -hmm. it, and it's the bathroom's ugly. It's another thing to come up with an idea and have someone tell you the idea is stupid. They're both creativity. And yeah, I guess people would be upset if the bathroom was ugly, but it's such a personal thing. And we get rejected all the time. It's not about rejection. They just don't want to jinx it. Again, That's what it is. It is like a jinx, isn't it? They don't want to jinx it. It's like back to the portfolio. I don't want to build a portfolio because it's admitting that there's a problem. I don't want to screw up an okay thing. Yeah. I, I don't want to jinx this interview process by finding out maybe that they're not prepared to make a real life example. I had a guy who I was working with, coaching, applying for a very senior, senior, senior job in New York the most senior job in a New York agency was down to two candidates. The guy I was working with wrote a plan. The other candidate did not. His plan was all encompassing and involved difficult things. They hired the other person. He was mad at me because he said, if I hadn't written this stupid plan, I would have gotten this job. I said, yes, you would have. And in six months, you would have been fired from it because you would have been ineffective. The person who got the job lost that job within a year and a half. Exactly the same thing. We're superstitious. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But you want to know. Like you don't yeah. – I'm talking to someone right now who went into a position thinking that they wanted to be a turnaround but didn't ask any of the questions to find out whether they meant it. Yeah. And I've talked to lots of people in those kinds of situations. 
Did you ask about, well, they wouldn't let me hire. Did you ask in the interview process? No. Well, they wouldn't let me fire. Did you ask in the interview process? No. They wouldn't give me any money to staff a department. Did you ask how much money you had to staff the creative department in the interview no. process? No. They wouldn't let me enter award shows. Did you find out what the award show budget was in the interview process? No. It's so obvious. And I, when I hear you After say this, fact, I, think back, I think back to myself and I go, I didn't ask those questions right, either. Right. It's like one show, looking at one show annuals. All those ads are obvious. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they're it's coming up with them. It's hard. Yeah, and just knowing after the fact, everything's obvious. <laughs> so yeah, so you ask the question. So plan, goal, ten criteria, and then interviewing against those criteria for every job, and and not being afraid to be rejected up front knowing that if you're rejected up front, that's a good thing because otherwise you would have just gotten six months down the road and then been, been rejected. Yeah. That's super yeah. hard advice to yeah. hear, but it's super smart. Yeah, who wants to get divorced over and over and over again? Yeah, I hear you. So I want to work... And the same chicks and not asking the questions on the date and getting divorced over and over again. I hear you. I, you know, that it's funny though because they talk about it in dating and you keep going for the people that you're attracted to, but not the people who you need. And then eventually, having been kicked in the head enough times, you go to the person, hopefully, yeah. that you need and you have a happy marriage. But yeah. I yeah. think it, it's, it's insight and, and development as a human. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It is like that. Yeah. But um, I want to work with you. How do I get a hold of you? How do I get some of this Heidi insight? Uh, HeidiConsults.com, www.HeidiConsults.com. You'll go there. You can book coaching immediately. It's all self-serve. You mm -hmm. go, you book your time, you pay up front. It goes into your calendar. It goes into my calendar and away we go. And if you're unsure about whether or not your specific set of circumstances is, um, something I can help you with, I offer a free 20 minute uh, introduction to coaching, which is not intended to be a 20 minute free coaching call. Although there will be a little bit of that, it's more about you asking those lingering questions mm -hmm. about well, what happens in coaching. And it's funny because a lot of times we have the 20 minute call and at the end of it, they go, so what do we do in coaching? I go more of what we just did, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. what coaching really does is gives somebody the chance to talk to someone, me, who's been studying careers, hiring, firing, all those difficult things that creative people find, creative people find creating easy. Mm -hmm. It's not easy, but easier than the things I'm about to mention. They find asking for a raise painful, asking for a promotion painful, quitting a job, painful, looking for a job, painful, knowing what to do in an interview, painful. And they don't have anyone to talk to about these things. What I am is I'm an independent person who doesn't have an agenda like a recruiter often. A lot of recruiters say they're coaches. They're not. Yes, they give coaching advice, but not as in-depth as what we go. Mm -hmm. And I'm not against operating to an agenda, which is I want to coach you into this job that I'm trying to fill so that I can get paid. My agenda is your agenda, and your agenda is to great, create a great career, get a raise, 
get a, the best salary you can. A lot of people call me just for tactical stuff. Okay, I'm about to get an offer. I don't want to leave money on the table. I hate negotiating. Help. That seems to me like something that would be extremely useful. So you're uh, everything from a junior to a senior. And Absolutely. you just get called in. Heidi, you know, the, the, red, the, the alarm bell is going off right now. Uh, help me out with this. What would you do? What would you say? What, what should yeah. I ask? You know, yeah. that, that yeah. would seem super because it's, helpful. It's, well, one of the things when I said I liked negotiating when I was recruiting, I felt that when the negotiation began, I was working for two parties at the same time. So I was in between the advertising agency, the company mm-hmm. whose job it is to hire the best people they can for the least amount of money. That's mm-hmm. not scummy. That's business. And the candidate whose job it is to get the most amount of money for the job that they're going to be doing. So right there is your conflict. The agency's mm-hmm. trying to push the number down and the individual's trying to push the number up. Mm-hmm. And my job was to find that band that everyone agreed on and make a deal where everybody felt that they made a great deal. A lot of times... A candidate, what happens often with creatives is they won't tell you a number until they'll give you, how much do you want to make? They'll give you a number. And when they feel that the company's about to make an offer, that number increases because they go, oh, now they want me. Now I can ask for lots of money. And that conversation, if they get silly at that moment, they can throw the entire deal out the window. So what I started doing when I was recruiting very quickly, I learned that mistake. I never asked people how much money they wanted to make. I asked them what they were making now because mm-hmm. that number wasn't going to change. Mm-hmm. And all I needed to do was bounce off of that number and improve on that number. Interesting little study in psychology. Yep. Yep. All yep. right. HeidiConsults.com. You can book yep. your own time. You can call Heidi tactically. And also longer term, just to sort of say, hey, my career is here. I feel something is sucking wind here. Help me out. I know you've done it for me, and I I swear by it. Heidi, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Have fun down in California. I will. Take care. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast for brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and profit because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. 